great to be here with you. Uh, World Relief is owned by all the denominations of the National Association of Evangelicals. You are in the Christian Missionary Alliance. The Christian Missionary Alliance is one of the great, great originating denominations in the National Association of Evangelicals. I happen to be of a different tribe. My tribe is called the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. Jonathan Edwards, New England, and all of that neat stuff. I'm from New Hampshire. But we're all a part of the National Association of Evangelicals. And World Relief is owned by you and the churches of America caring for the poor around the world through the church. World Relief's goal is to bring all the resources of the American church to help the church around the world that's going through all kinds of stuff so that they can care for the needy. Isn't that neat? I could not have run World Relief without the Alliance. Reg Reimer from, from Canada, uh, Christian Missionary Alliance and World Relief Canada, was one of those people. Uh, Dave Rambo and I went to Gordon Seminary together. He was one of the biggest cheerleaders of World Relief. So I, and the Mangum family and on and on it goes. All the relationships of the church in America trying to care for the poor. And to care for the church. So we get out of the way and let the church get the credit of doing things like responding to the Rwandan genocide or the civil war in Mozambique or the tragedy in Liberia and Sierra Leone or the Serbo-Croatian war. Those were all things on my watch uh, in, in, the, in the middle 90s. So I just bless you. I, I love your church. Uh, I live right over here a mile. I always come by your place and go into McDonald's and uh, almost get killed trying to drive out of McDonald's like all of you have. Uh, and so I've known this church. I've worshipped here. Uh, my family goes to the Chain of Lakes Community Bible Church because we came back to Chicago from Maine. Oh, did I tell you I was a Boston Red Sox fan? Huh. I guess you don't need to know that. Um, having said all that, we, we came back here because one of our little families needed us. And so we went to church with them. And in God's providence, my son-in-law has come to faith in Jesus. We do things for family, don't we? And we worship and we love together. Well, I think a great deal of your pastor and Rowena. Uh, you, you get to know a guy like Paul when you pray with him and you just know what's inside his soul. So when he called me Friday, I said, well, well let me pray about this and think. And he's been doing a series on what scripture says about the church. And the next one coming up is the bride of Christ. So I got thinking, well, I, let me talk about the big picture of the church and what it means to be an evangelical church where you spill the good news, right? Uh, really, that's what evangelical means, just a gospel spiller. It's, it's a term of derision. A lot of people don't like evangelicals because they just tell the good news and they uh, tell about Jesus and the cross and they also care for the poor. And so the theological defective crowd who don't believe in the cross of Christ or the resurrection, they're big into the poor, but, but they don't get the gospel thing. And they often accuse us as being evangelical right-wingers or wing-nuts or whatever they want to call us. But th what they miss is that it's the whole Jesus picture. It's the whole Jesus story. And in all of the American tribes that are members of the National Association of Evangelicals, and we're members of the World Evangelical Alliance. That's 118 countries who have their evangelical alliances of 100 plus million people. That all of us together 
are involved in doing some remarkable stuff. Sharing the gospel, caring for the needy, being involved in the greatest missions enterprise. After all, the Christian Missionary Alliance, what's that all about? Isn't it always just spilling the good news everywhere? But doing it in a way that honors God. So I, I do, I suppose, represent a, a person from another tribe coming to your tribe saying, we're a part of a huge nation around the world that loves Jesus. And this is not a day for pessimism. This is a day for uh, just filling ourselves with the, the praise of Jesus. And I did love the worship leaders. Thanks for words that matter and for songs that really get to the soul. Here I am to worship. So that's what I'm about today. And so I'm asking the question, what's an evangelical Christian? Are you? Are you an evangelical Christian? Now, if this is an evangelical church, there should be evangelical Christians in an evangelical church. I mean, it'd be very smart, but that seems to go together. There may be people in this church who love this church and yet are not evangelical Christians. Well, so you may be an evangelical Christian if you take this test that I want to give you. You may be, wait a minute, you may be a redneck, Jeff Foxworthy. You may be a redneck, and I did write down the ones that you could repeat off the internet the other day. I think Foxworthy, by the way, has some spiritual sensitivity and does not like the fact that his wonderful comedy routine has been taken over by a bunch of stuff. Um, but anyway, you may be a redneck if your Christmas ornaments are made out of spent shotgun shells. You may be a redneck. You may be a redneck if you carry a fishing pole to SeaWorld. I like that. You may be a redneck if you stare at the organ, excuse me, the, the orange juice carton because it says concentrate. Or you, you may be a redneck if you think fast food is hitting a possum at 65 miles an hour in your pickup truck. Or in my Volkswagen, please don't hit it when you leave in a few minutes, would you? You may be an evangelical if. Would you write down three words? if you are taking notes, or just remember the three words. The first word is authenticity. The second word is authority. The third word is accountability. One more time. Triple A. Three words. You may be an evangelical if, in fact, you are authentic, given to biblical authority, and are willing to be accountable. The three words. Authenticity. Authority accountability the three A's and I want you to take the test I want to see how you're doing and only you know if you're an evangelical Christian I mean you can fake it but your soul can't fake it with God and Paul was the first evangelical Christian well no, I know the, the, the original 12 except for the one and Matthias took his place 
they must have been the first evangelical Christians. Well, they were followers of Christ. They had no choice. Jesus said, follow me, and they did. They loved Jesus. They got the evangel, the evangel correctly. They were, in fact, evangelical. But they were a part of Jesus, the Jesus movement. Paul was not. Saul hated Christ, hated everything about the original twelve. He hated the whole thing about what was going on in, in his Jerusalem, what was going on among the Pharisees, many of them turning to Christ after the resurrection. And he was arrested on the way to Damascus, right? That wonderful story about the Lord coming to him. But he wasn't choosing Jesus at all. God chose him. But once this happened, Ananias came and laid hands on him, and he received the Holy Spirit, and he got his sight back and was commissioned, he became an intentional evangelical. He was authentic. He accepted the authority of the word in Jesus Christ. And he was accountable. And so the entire book of Second Timothy, in my soul and spirit, talks about that, that whole definition. So when Paul asked me if I would do something, I thought of Second Timothy. And I've had the privilege the last few days of just reading it over and over and over again. The last time was this morning across the street over my coffee. And I did get out of here and get safely. I didn't get hit by anyone going in the wrong lane again, coming out of that, that little place. And as I read it, I realized this, this is what we need. Because you know where Paul was when he wrote the last of his writings? The pastoral epistles, so-called, the letters to the churches uh, that really are the last gasp of this great man's uh, great mind and great soul before he dies. He's in prison the Mamertine prison, or maybe in house arrest, but he was incarcerated and he wasn't probably ever going to get out of it. He had been deserted. People were embarrassed by him. And so he writes the pastoral epistles. And, and you know, there are five trustworthy sayings in First and Second Timothy and Titus that you ought to dig up and really make your own soul being the worst of sinners, seeking to serve God and what it means to be under the, the wonderful care of Jesus who never, who never leaves us and people given to goodness. He was quite a guy. But Second Timothy were his last words. And I don't know about you, but there's something about Scripture. When you come across the last words of any man or woman, you just take these words particularly seriously because they're speaking out of a, a lifetime of blessing and great disappointment. And yet there's, there were, theirs were lives of tenacity and courage. So I had a chance just to read and read and read for your benefit. And, and that's what I want to deal with over these next moments, along with the things that I've said to you. But please listen to the word of God. Second Timothy. I'd like to read from the first chapter, verses 3 through 15. And verse 15 ends with just a, that awful idea of being deserted. Uh, but that's a part of what it means to be willing to be an evangelical Christian, a spiller of the good news, who is authentic, committed to authority of scripture, and accountable for the great commission that the Lord has given to us. The word of God, Second Timothy 1, verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and homeostasis, self-discipline, or sanity. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I am appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenes. Now please turn to the fourth chapter, just turn the page, verse 16 of the fourth chapter, his concluding remarks, at my first defense no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me, may it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely home to his heavenly kingdom. The word of God. Spirit of God, teach us. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, did you write down those words or did you put them in your memory? Authenticity, authority, and accountability. Here's Paul. And he passes the test, by the way, but I I want you to pass the test. And I want this church to be filled with truly authentic, accountable, people under authority kinds of evangelical Christians. Authenticity. I personally confess Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. And with the passion that fills my heart, I am willing to give public witness that my relationship to Christ is the absolute center of my life. Center is a big word these days. Do you find your center? Do you find your emotional center, your psychological center, your center of gravity? Which make, if when you, you get old, one of the things you lose is your ability uh, to have balance and you tend to, to teeter. You know, it's, it's amazing. I take Joanne to a botanic gardens often. Your pastor likes to sneak away and take pictures there. But I, I, need, a, I need a pole now when I go. Uh, you know, replaced knee and a, and a busted up old ankle from too many years of catching and of being a very mediocre athlete, I guess. But that's one of the things that you, you really need 
is a, a strong center of gravity that somehow you, you keep it there and that's what authentic Christianity is. Christ is the center of my life. Is he? Uh, have you prayed the prayer to receive Christ? Now, maybe that's old hat for a lot of you. But you see, I wrote it down and it's a part of my regular prayer fellowship with the Lord. When I read the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed because I want to be connected to the Church of the Ages. But I go through this prayer again to thank God for, for who he is in my life. And, and this is what I write down. And this is what I've given to oh, lots of people everywhere. Uh, my Father, I repent of my sin. I deserve your wrath. But I do ask for your forgiveness. I have come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and was raised the third day. Father, please cover my sin with the blood of Christ. Holy Spirit of God, come into my life. Apply to me saving grace. I want to be born again. I confess that Jesus alone is the Christ. He is the Lord. Bring me safely home to heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now, I know that's too precise and that's typical theologian talk, I suppose, because pastors are always pastor theologians. But we're Trinitarian. It's God the Father who planned for our salvation. It's Jesus Christ who accomplished our salvation. It's the Holy Spirit who applies our salvation. Cuts through all the garbage of our quasi-philosophical thoughts or questions or doubts and finally brings us to repentance that leads to truth and life. Isn't that lovely? It's the lovely trinity of God. That's why we're evangelical. That's why we follow the teachings of such great people like Jonathan Edwards and A.B. Simpson and others who were clear that it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who interact with the church of Jesus Christ and without the Trinity of God there would be no salvation. If God didn't plan it, the cross wouldn't have happened. But God planned it and Jesus died and the Holy Spirit applies it. The Holy Spirit is the one who holds the church together. He is the one who gives us truth. And so authenticity of faith. Can you look at your prayer life and your confession of Jesus Christ and you're coming under the cross of Jesus Christ to say, Lord, by your grace, what I have is something that you've authentically given to me and I want to be that authentic Christian. You are the passion of my life. You are the center of my life. And I want to be the person who lifts up the cross of Jesus Christ with absolute passion and disdain for any kind of um, opposition or attack or adversity. Authority. I believe that the 66 books of the Bible are inspired by God, Theopneustos, God breathed, and that's the word literally in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed, and therefore it is profitable for teaching, correction, uh, reproof, training, that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. Uh, I believe that the, that the 66 canonical books of the Bible are the, scripture, are the scripture and I stand under their authority. 
It is God's infallible word. It is without error. And it instructs my life. I savor it. I love it. It's fully foundational in all the things that I do. Can you say it? I, I hope you can. I was telling the, the crowd in the, in the first hour that uh, this crazy pastor of the Chain of Lakes Community Bible Church where we go at the beginning of the year um, said, let's read the Bible through in three months. So you had all these people sign up to read the Bible through in three months. Uh, it's kind of like what people say about my preaching because I often talk too fast. Listening to art means you're trying to take a, a drink out of a fire hydrant. And they've been cleaning them all around town these past days. And I thought about that. Reading the Bible through in three months is like that as well. Well, I guess it took me two months, two months and one week to do that. I took the challenge and I like to read standing up. I see your pastor has a, has a book stand. And sometimes you just need to stand up and, and be at attention and read. Well, I went through this and I wrote on virtually every page and, and I'm outlining things. It's just been incredible. Uh, I'm preparing a message now from, from 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter, because of what God gave me out of reading Corinthians this time through. My point, though, is I wish I had done that just getting out of seminary. I wish I had done that every year, just to read it through again like a, a fire hydrant, uh, get the big pieces, the big picture, the whole deal. It's amazing what you see when you read all of Ezekiel through in one sitting. I, mean, I want to know, because this is the authority under which I... I stand and rest. I, I wish I'd been doing that. And, and then writing my preaching program. It's amazing what reading the Word of God might inform the rest of what I had to say to my congregations. Oh, I read the Word of God with love and, and regularity, certainly, but I took up my crazy pastor's um, challenge, and I'm probably going to do it every year now, as long as I can read, because it, what it does to my own soul. My point is, are you convinced that Scripture truly is the Word of God? That it is true and it is your authority? We live in a time when heterodoxy is everywhere. That means taking a truth and moving it sideways, forwards, up and down to get away from its truth. We have kids growing up in, a, in an era where they're not even sure if their folks hold to the authority of Scripture. Uh, they're certain that Pastor Paul does. But they hear other pastors who no longer hold to that. I, I happen to believe in the defense of of Marriage Act, and I've carefully uh, supported that during the years of my ministry, both through the NAE with resolutions and, and testifying in different places, even in the state of Maine, which is terribly to the left on this whole issue. Why? Because Scripture is clear. Uh, and with my last name, I have to be very careful uh, about entering into a lot of discussions on the issues called gay issues. That's my last name. So you see our wall. Uh, we were... We just celebrated our 50th wedding anniversary last year. So we have a gay wall. And I tell people coming, those pictures of all my kids, can I show you the picture? Um, and I'm for gay marriage and gay liberation. All my family that are called gay. Uh, by the way, they were Puritan preachers. They are Puritan preachers during the, the 17, 1700s uh, in New England. So I'm not giving up what's my heritage. My point, though, is Scripture is clear, unless you say that Paul didn't mean it, and Deuteronomy is an interpolation or an addition or something else. Is, is Scripture true? And do you have the guts to say it? And do people see that you hold to the authority of Scripture and live by it? Rule two. Third, accountability. 
Paul was clear. When he was arrested by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus and given a new commission, he was willing to be accountable for the Great Commission, to tell the good news everywhere, to listen to the, the, the Lord when he had to go to Macedonia rather than going to Turkey. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment to love each other so that people will know we're his disciples. Or John 17, to love each other so that people can, by our love, say we agree that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And by our hatred of each other to say we don't need to consider Christ. And sometimes some of the rhubarbs in our churches have destroyed John 17 and people don't need to take seriously Jesus when we don't love each other. Paul was accountable. And and, and near the end of his life, when people were deserting him and things were going very, very badly outside of his soul, he could say, I'm accountable. I want more than anything else for you, Timothy, to preach the gospel in season and out of season. Always remember the words that were given to you by your your mom and your grandmother. And and remember that all scripture is God breathed and it's profitable. And, and, And don't give up for one moment. Don't give. Be a good soldier. And, and if there's suffering, so be it. Okay, how'd you do? The 3A test. Please, for the sake of your own soul and this great church and your pastor who, who, longs, who longs for the, um, the purity and growth of this fellowship, be that person, would you? So what's an evangelical Christian? A spiller of the good news who loves Jesus with all his or her heart, who holds that scripture is absolutely true and spends his or her life spilling the good news, living out a godly life under the authority of scripture, caring for the poor and needy and calling America back to biblical truth. Hmm. Paul, in that reading this morning, gave to us a description of what it means to have an evangelical commitment. Really, Second Timothy is the outstanding statement on, on commitment. I've entrusted to the Lord my life. I know whom, in whom I have believed. And the Lord can count on me. You know, the covenant love of God. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Our commitment needs to go back to him saying, Lord, I'm here I'm here for you, the Lord, and I, I, come, I arrange my whole life under your authority, and I am going to be accountable for what you've told me to do, and I want to live my life as an authentic Christian. I'm committed to you. But Paul is clear when he calls Timothy to this kind of commitment that it's not, it's not all easy. God did not give us a spirit of timidity. So, Timothy, you're liable to have a personal struggle. Did you pick up my little translation quickly of homeostasis? You that have taken psychology know very well that that's the whole issue of balance. Do you know one of the biggest problems for, for men and women who preach and teach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's keeping their sanity. Keeping balance. Do you know that? That most ministers wake up on Monday morning and write out their resignation and have a full day of depression. Because when you spill everything that you've got, and you're so filled with the Spirit of God, and maybe no one even listens, or maybe you get no response, the next morning you just doubt yourself and doubt whether or not you should even be here. I did that for 40 years, and finally I had to quit. 
just because I was weary and young men need to be the marathon runners who prepare every week. I'm a relay runner. I jump in and I feel better about that. That fits my style today. So it's the personal struggle. So being an authentic Christian, a committed disciple of Jesus Christ, an evangelical Christian means you will have personal struggles. Apparently, even cowardice was a part of the issue where, where Timothy was afraid to speak. Ever been afraid to speak? Well, I have. In a hospital calling, I've gone right by a room because I was too timid to even go in. I had to go down and sit, talk and pray it over again before I could go back up. Do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord. Be courageous. Please be courageous. If you don't speak, there'll be a whole lot of people who will never hear because in your sphere, people need your courage. Don't be ashamed of me, the Lord's prisoner. Being an evangelical Christian is not always stylish. Some of the people that we support are not respected. And there are a lot of people that would be silenced. We have a disturbing atmosphere in our country where people who, in fact, are outwardly speaking of the good news are questioned. Now, we are not in prison, but I can tell you it's not stylish in a lot of places. And it's demanding. Join me in suffering for the gospel. Demanding? He's in prison. And it's often costly because we're called in verse 9 to a holy life, a separate life. And people notice that we're weird and different. Uh, Because the culture around us says you deserve everything that you you get uh, monetarily, you get that BMW, get whatever you want because you deserve it. No, we're called to a holy life, a frugal life, a life of chastity and sometimes even poverty for the sake of the evangel and the gospel and the needy and the poor. I compliment you for the sacrifice of many to make sure that this church is running with its bills paid. Praise God. I know of churches that are 30 and 40 percent behind and are really wondering what to do next. And then Christ-centered. I know whom I have believed in verse 12, the second part. Are you really Christ-centered? Not Jesus-centered, but Christ-centered. Now, Jesus Christ, our Lord, wonderful. But the world around us loves you if you want to say, I love Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua. Salvation comes from the Lord. Great word. But when you say, Yeshua, Mishiach, Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. No, 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 not this Christ person. Not the Messiah, not this Son of God person. We're people of the Lord, Kurios. The Lord, he is Adonai. He is the God of Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're to be Christ-centered. And we're to be entirely under his control. Again, he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Uh, He's sovereign. He's he's, He's my sovereign. I'm under his control. And it's not necessarily always fun. Everybody in the province of Asia has deserted me. And Demas, the disciple that he poured so much in, uh, loved the the world and has gone off. And Alexander the metalsmith has caused him great harm to the gospel. Not to him personally, but to the message of the gospel. Then these guys in in the second chapter, who no longer, who said the resurrection had occurred, who are going around messing up all kinds of people in their churches. And we have that happening even in our own town. People going around with all kinds of of crazy stuff. 
So it's not necessarily fun when we stand up for something and people either desert us or reject us or disappoint us. Hmm. But Paul was saved by grace. He was buoyed up by God's grace and purpose. He said, I'm a teacher of the gospel. Now guard the good deposit with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within you and be an evangelical Christian. Well, how'd you do? Isn't that a wonderful ideal? To set it up, it doesn't make any difference what happens to me economically, what happens to me as people view me intellectually or professionally, that Christ alone is the center of my life. He is my passion. I'm under the authority of Scripture, and I'm accountable for his mission. So people have asked me, okay, Art, then what are you? You say you're a Congregationalist and you're an Evangelical. May I say something to you over the next few moments that I think can be very important to you if you don't get fogged up with all the words uh, and I'm maybe going to throw at you. I think we're a part of something great and we stand on the shoulders of great men and women. And what we are as Evangelicals, we're the, the completion for today of the greatest movement, people movement, that the world has ever seen. Regardless of the fact that we've received a great deal of um, offensive retaliation and even persecution. Do you know that the 20th century uh, was the worst century for persecution and martyrdom of all the other centuries combined? Yeah, I've talked to those people. They know they're going through the Great Tribulation, as they say, waiting for Jesus to come uh, to make sense out of it all. But they go on. So who are we? Well, first of all, I'm just a follower of Jesus Christ. My family, like you, your family, is very dysfunctional. And uh, we've got people that we still lock up in the closet and don't talk to. Well, not, not really. But we, we have all of the rest of it. I had two brothers who went to Vietnam. One came back a hopeless drug addict and has destroyed his families and people as he's gone. And our heart breaks for him. Kim, my other brother, came back, uh, went to went to Alliance School of Theology and got his master's and went back to Japan as a missionary. I mean, we, we have everything in our family. But the one thing my family gave to me was be a follower of Jesus Christ. Just be a follower. And what does Christian mean? A follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I'm a follower of the writings and testimony of the first century apostles and their disciples. Therefore, I am apostolic. I'm not going to give that word away to anybody else either, by the way. That's a part of me as a Christ follower. I am blessed and informed by the early church fathers and their successful struggle to state the Christian faith in clear and biblical orthodox creeds. I am orthodox. I'm not going to give that word away either. I'm a Christ follower who is apostolic and who is orthodox. And I'm overwhelmed by the worldwide spread of the Christian church in the first four centuries of Christian history. I identify myself with the church universal over all the ages throughout the world. I am Catholic, not Roman Catholic, although my mom was Irish Catholic. and St. Patrick's in Nashua was our home parish. My dad was Unitarian Congregationalist. We were a dysfunctional family until we found Jesus. At least we followed Jesus, even though we had other stuff going on. 
Oh, you see, I'm a Christ follower. I'm apostolic. I am orthodox. I am Catholic. And I'm not giving any of those words away. I'm regularly pressed back to the simplicity of salvation by faith alone and the necessity to continually reform the church and return it to justification by faith alone. As a Protestant in the tradition of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, I am reformed. Are you getting a pattern here that I'm claiming everything that Christ has done throughout every age to the communion of the believers? We stand on the shoulders of great, great people. I'm convinced that gospel should be on, in the hands of every person in the vernacular, not in Latin, not in Greek, but in their own language, so that every person can hear about the forgiveness of sins and receive Christ, even though it costs the martyrdom of William Tyndale, who was killed by English people when they went to Holland to take his life in 1535 because he wanted to spill the good news in the language that we could understand in vernacular English. And he was a gospel spiller. That's why evangelicals look, still looked upon as a derisive term because of William Tyndale. So I am an evangelical. You want to fight? That's, that's who I am because of people who have died. I'm a first generation evangelical Christian because my parents found Jesus in New Hampshire and they heard about Moody down at Park Street Church in Boston and we all moved out here and I grew up in Chicago as a little kid on Chicago Avenue watching people get shot across the street at Moody Bible Institute. So I'm a product of a first generation Christian parents who, when they came back to Nashua, New Hampshire, began Trinity Baptist Church. And I was privileged to be the first ordained kid to the Christian ministry. And my sister, the first missionary to be commissioned to Zaire. So I'm Baptistic. And I'm listed in my denominational book as a minister of the gospel. And I'm a Congregationalist. That's been my crowd, my tribe since 1972. And when I was the president of the NAE, I did, did that wonderful job representing the conservative Congregational Christian Conference, just like David Rambo, when he was the president uh, of the NAE, uh, represented the Christian Missionary Alliance. And because I'm committed to evangelicals around the world and the unity of the faith of all who are part of this wonderful tribal nation called the National Association of Evangelicals, I'm an evangelical ecumenist. I believe in the oneness of the body of Christ. So here's that trend. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I am Orthodox. I am Catholic. I am Reformed. I'm an Evangelical. I'm Baptistic. I'm a Congregationalist. I'm an Evangelical Ecumenist. I long for all the body of believers to be together. And that prayer time that we, we have every Thursday morning among the pastors here in McHenry, it's because we love each other and we love the big church of Jesus Christ and we believe in the success of Christus Victor. He is the victor. So that's my answer. I'm connected to the saints throughout the millennia. I'm a part of the, the communion of believers over all of the ages. We all look for the coming of Jesus Christ. But the epitaph that I would like, I suppose, stamped on a piece of cardboard when I die and stick it next to my ashes, Arche, Evangelical Christian, and maybe under it, they could just put Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. How'd you do? 
how, how, did you, how did you do with the 3A test? Um, does this church have evangelical Christians here? I hope at least you are aspiring to be that kind of a follower of Christ. To carefully put yourself in the fellowship under the authority of the word among brothers and sisters whom, who love you and who trust you and you trust. Under a pastor who knows the word and is honored because of his integrity and authenticity. You see, that's what this is about. So when you look at the Bride of Christ next Sunday, see yourself in the big picture. The Church of Jesus Christ is expanding in an enormous way. And the Church of Jesus Christ and McHenry needs you to expand the story of your life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being with us this day. Thank you for the privilege of opening your word and thank you for the word of singing, the privilege to sing your word. But most of all, Lord, thank you for the privilege to worship and to adore you. And thank you, Lord, for what it means to be truly evangelical, a recipient of the good news and a spiller of the good news. To the glory of God. Amen.